Open your Bibles tonight to John chapter 1, Matthew chapter 1. This morning, we saw that we are the clay, and that of the same lump, God is able to to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor, and that desiring to show his power and make his wrath known in the universe, he has chosen to bear with the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction, and that to make known the riches of his glory, he has formed vessels of mercy, Amen. that he's a four prepared unto glory. Amen. If you're ever glorified, it's because God prepared you beforehand for that. Amen. We saw that this morning plainly, and I hope that you believe it with all your heart. I would look, I'd like us to look at now how in a few places we can see that that sovereign purpose and choice and will of God is the only basis for our salvation We know these things, but I want us to be established in them, and I want to overthrow the God of this world, that free will God, in which men try to protect themselves by believing that it's their will that determines their destiny. Though, if they ever stop and think about it, and I hope that I've made you think about it, every aspect of your life was determined before you were conceived by a God that did not ask you what you wanted. Amen. Your family, your physical attributes, your mental attributes, your nation, the generation in the history of the world. I mean, why weren't you born in the year 700 AD? Why weren't you born in 2500 BC? All of those issues you were never consulted about. God simply made a choice. And I wish that they would all recognize that so that they wouldn't come barking so loudly against the word of God because he might do that with their eternal destiny, which he does do. In Matthew chapter 1 and the 21st verse, we have an angel speaking to Joseph, the husband of Mary, the mother of Jesus. And the angel said, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. Jesus Christ is victorious king. And I am his ambassador. And I present to you a Jesus Christ that saved his people from their sins. And not a one of them will be lost. He has them all. They're in his palms of his hand. They're in the book of the everlasting covenant written down. And he has saved them from their sins, they shall be glorified in heaven. In John chapter 6, we see it repeated. John chapter 6, we read these verses this morning, but we read them from the Father's choice of those that he gave to Jesus Christ. But now we want to see in these same verses that they teach that Jesus Christ only laid down his life for them, and he'll lose none of them. In John chapter 6 and verse 38, For I came down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. That was the Father's will, and Jesus said he was going to do it. I will lose nothing. That's the Savior we worship. It is Jesus Christ performing the work of salvation for us. And he'll lose none of them. 
and he will raise up every one that the Father gave him. Amen. Jesus Christ says in John chapter 10 and verse 15, As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Amen. Jesus Christ laid down his life for the sheep. He didn't lay down his life for the goats. There's, and that's so simple, but I'm trying to make it simple for the children. In Matthew chapter 25, the Bible tells us that in the last day, Jesus Christ will have all nations gathered before him, and he will take men and separate them one from the other. He is going to take some men and put them on his right hand and call them his sheep. He's going to take some and put them on his left hand and call them his goats. He's going to tell the goats to enter into everlasting torment with the devil and his angels. Matthew chapter 25. And he's going to tell the righteous that the sheep on his right hand to enter into the kingdom prepared for them from the foundation of the world. Amen. And they're sheep by the election of God. Amen. And they are the ones that Jesus laid down his life for. For the verse says, I lay down my life for the sheep. And he says in verse 16, And other sheep I have which are not of this fold. I have sheep that are not Jews that are not of this fold, Amen. them also I must bring. Do you like a Savior like that? Amen. Do you like a Savior that says, I must bring them? Why? Because it was a commandment of the Holy God that He would come into this world and bring them to the Father, that they would be conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that there would be a redeemed family of God in heaven. Jesus didn't die to make salvation possible. Jesus died to make salvation certain. Amen. I must bring them. And these, these other sheep that are of a different fold are you and me because we're Gentiles. Amen. Them also I must bring and they shall hear my voice and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Amen. Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ saves every one of his sheep. I see in verse 28 of the same chapter, and I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Jesus gives them eternal life. If you have a love for Jesus Christ and wanting to obey Him tonight, I can tell you that He's given you eternal life, right. or you wouldn't have an interest in serving Him sincerely. Right. He gives eternal life by His choice. He doesn't offer eternal life. There is not a place in the Word of God where eternal life is offered to anyone. There's only one place where there's an offering made in the Word of God. It is Jesus Christ, by the eternal Spirit, entering into the presence of God after His resurrection, offering His blood to God the Father as a payment for our sins. Amen. That's the only offering He ever made. Amen. Will you accept my blood, Holy Father, for my brethren that I just died for, my sheep? And I'll tell you, that was an offering that was accepted. Amen. And we've been made accepted in the Beloved, Amen. according to Ephesians chapter 1. That offering is described for us in Hebrews 9, and that's the only offering. Jesus Christ doesn't offer himself to sinners. If Jesus Christ offered himself to you without changing you first, what would you do to him? Crucify him is what you would do to him. Look at Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Yes. Christ loved the church. Listen, if Christ loved everyone, is there any 
is there any reason why we should be thankful that he loved the church? It just dilutes and defeats the whole purpose of the love of God and the love of Christ. If he loves everyone indiscriminately, those that end up in hell and those that end up in heaven are equally loved. His love doesn't mean anything. If a man truly loves a woman, he will win that woman. Solomon knew that. He said there's four wonderful things on earth. And one of them is the way of a man with a maid. If a man really loves a woman, he'll win her. Let me tell you something about the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not an ordinary man, and his love is not ordinary. And when he sets his affection on someone to love them, he will win them. I read in Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 3, with loving kindness he has drawn us. I have loved you with an everlasting love, and with loving kindness I have drawn you. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. He loved his church and he gave himself for it. If we, if Jesus Christ loved all men indiscriminately and equally, then how in the world would that be an exhortation to us on how to love our wives? Does that mean that we're supposed to love all women equally, including our wife? No. Or are we supposed to love our wife with a special love as Jesus Christ loved his church? Yeah. It's so obvious you should be able to see it if the Holy Spirit has opened your eyes. It's in his word. Look at Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. We want to look at the sovereignty of the living God and his son Jesus Christ in the work of salvation. We began it this morning. We're, we're going to finish it this evening in just a few minutes. Romans chapter 5. I read in verse 19. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. Do you understand the sovereignty of that, the first half of that verse? By one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. That's one doing something for the many. That's what men cannot stand. They think they should have the right for their own soul, the right for their own legal standing before God. But Adam, Romans 5.19, the first half is talking about Adam. Adam was put into a federal legal relationship for us by the living God. If you live, they live. If you eat the fruit off that tree, they all die with you. Adam was our representative. He was your sin representative. It's a horrible thought. We were all in Adam in the Garden of Eden. Romans 5, 19. He sinned, we became sinners because of him. We have all eaten the fruit off the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the law books of heaven. Have you ever had to accept Adam as your personal sin representative in order for his action to be applied to your account? No. God doesn't care if you've never heard of Adam. You came out of Adam's loins and you are responsible for Adam's sin because you have committed it in and through him. That's the doctrine of representation taught in the Bible. But I want to show you the second half of that verse. Not only are we made sinners by the offense that of, of, by Adam's disobedience in the Garden of Eden, but look at the second half. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Amen. Jesus Christ is made the second Adam. He stands in a relationship to us as, the, as Adam stood in a relationship to us in Eden. Adam made us sinners by his disobedience, but Jesus makes us righteous by his perfect obedience. And it's by the fact that God put us in a binding legal relationship with him. This is the doctrine of the Bible. It is my pleasure to preach you the truth. 
Let them run their doctrine into Romans 5.19. God doesn't care if you've ever heard of Adam. Adam in the Garden of Eden stood for you. And you are guilty of eating the fruit off the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it doesn't matter whether you've heard of Jesus Christ or not with your ears. If Jesus Christ stood for you in the cross of Calvary, your sins have been paid for, and it's impossible that you can ever be separated from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. For by the obedience of one, if I have to add your obedience to this obedience, then I've got the obedience of two. Our children, can you get that, Andrew? If you have to obey to get to heaven, and Jesus had to obey to get to heaven, isn't that the obedience of two? Or have I forgotten my math? Is that the obedience of two? But the Bible says it's by the obedience of one. The Lord Jesus Christ by himself. And that's a sovereign choice that he made for us. And blessed be his name, he has saved us. Can any man redeem his brother? Roman Psalm 49 tells me in four verses that no man can by any means redeem his brother for the redemption of their soul is precious and it ceaseth forever. There's nothing I can do to save a brother from hell. The Lord Jesus Christ does that work. Amen. Come to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. How is a man born again? Everyone wants to be born again. What do you need to do to be born again? What do you have to do to get born again? You can't do anything to be born again. What will you do? Something in the flesh? There's two. You have two existences in the light, in, in this world. You are born of flesh the first time and you're born of the spirit the second time. In order to be born of the Spirit, are you going to tell me you're going to do something in the flesh? The flesh and the Spirit, according to Galatians chapter 5, are the greatest enemies in the universe. The flesh and the Spirit lust against one another. They can't stand each other. There's nothing you can do to be born again. He does everything for you to be born again. Look at John chapter 1 and verse 13. Which were born. This is how you're born again. Not of blood. It doesn't matter whether you're Jew or Gentile. It doesn't matter what race you belong to or what nationality you belong to. It's not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh. Notice, there is no choice or decision you can make in your flesh in order to be born again. Because by your first birth, all you are is flesh. And flesh is going to hell. And flesh cannot please God. And flesh hates anything of the Spirit. What will you do? We would do nothing except hate God and reject anything he offered us. We'd be unable to see it and we would think any preaching of the gospel is foolishness in the flesh. It's not the will of the flesh and it's not the will of man. You are not born again by your parents taking you down to the local father or the local priest and having a little water poured in your forehead in the form of a cross. That's the will of man. Every mama does that for her child in the Roman Catholic Church and the Catholic Church's daughters, thinking that by her choice to do that for her child, she can cause that child to be born again because that's the doctrine of baptismal regeneration of the Catholic Church. 
But it says, not of the will of man. So look what that verse has done. It has ruled out racial regeneration. It doesn't matter whether you're Jew or Gentile. None of that matters when it comes to being born again. It's nothing you do in the flesh. And it's nothing that anyone does for you. But what does it say? But of God. But of God. You mean we're born again by God? He doesn't... You mean... Just God. Amen. Not God and the will of the flesh? Nope. Not God and the will of man? Nope. Just God? Amen. That's all we believe. Right. We're not that difficult. That's all we believe. That being born again is of God. Amen. Blessed be his name. Amen. Right. Look at chapter 3 and verse 3. Jesus speaking to Nicodemus. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What is a person going to do to get into the kingdom of God when they can't see it? Unless a man's born again, you can't even see it. So how are you going to get into something you don't even see? Because it's not until you're born again that you see Jesus Christ is king, and I want to be a citizen of his kingdom by obeying him. But you don't see that until you're born again. Except... But they'll go to a verse like that and just quote the words to get the sound of the words as if there's something you're supposed to do in order to be born again. But we don't want the sound of the words. We want the sense of the words. Until you're born again, you can't even see it, let alone get into it. Look at verse 8. Here's how you're born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth. Now, when was the last time you used listeth in a sentence? Last week? Last month? The wind bloweth where it listeth, where it willeth. The wind blows wherever it wants to, wherever it chooses to blow. And thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. I think our doctrine's rather scriptural. That's right, John 3.8. How's a man born again? Like the wind, it blows wherever it wants to. And where does God regenerate men? Whenever and wherever he wants to. Amen. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and whom he will he hardeneth. Look at chapter 5. Isn't this amazing that this is in the Gospel of John? John chapter 5 and verse 21. For as the Father raiseth up the dead and quickeneth them, even so the Son quickeneth. Who does the Son quicken? What does quicken mean? You have a fingernail and you have flesh that's under your fingernail and it's called your quick. If I stick a pin under your fingernail, will it hurt? Why does it hurt? Because the quick is alive. That's what the word quick means. Quick is alive. So when we're quickened, we're made alive. This is being born again in another place, called by another word. John 5.21 is being born again. As the Father raiseth up the dead and quickeneth them, even so the Son quickeneth whom He will. Whom He will. Do you know how sovereign God is? If you have any results 
or evidence of being born again, it is because God chose you and chose to raise you from the dead and to quicken you. That is glorious. You should be so thankful. But we go out of this place and we live our little lives and we forget to thank the holy God for what he's done. It's His will. John 5, 21. I want you to see those words. Even so the Son quickeneth whom He will. It's not who wants to be born again. No one wants to be born again. The only man who wants to be born again is already born again. And that's why He's wanting to be born again. Because He doesn't understand yet that He's already born again. Because He wouldn't have any interest in it if God hadn't already quickened Him and made Him alive. Amen. Look at Romans 2.29. Romans 2.29. Romans 2.29. Let's talk about an inward work of grace in a person's soul. That makes us a Jew. Amen. The true Jews are those that believe. The elect of God. Those are the true descendants of Abraham through the seed, singular, of Jesus Christ. Amen. Verse 28 told us, For he is not a Jew which is one outwardly. Now, Can you believe that? Can you accept that? Do you submit to that? For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly. You find me an outward Jew that's got a birth certificate and a genealogical record that says he's a Jew, and I'll tell you, according to the word of God, he's not a Jew. Because this says, he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly. Neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, and not in the letter. There is a cutting operation that takes place in the spirit of man. And it is done by the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what makes us a Jew, a true descendant of Abraham, a true inheritor of the promises. But who gets the praise for that operation? A minister, a priest, your pastor, a soul winner. Who gets the praise? According to Romans 2.29, whose praise is not of men, but of God. You will never be going to heaven and getting there looking around for someone that has circumcised your heart. Because there's only one that can perform that operation, and it's the Lord Jesus Christ. And he has made you the true Jew. Philippians 2.13 says, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. If you ever do anything at Philippians 2.13, if you ever do anything that pleases God, it is God that worked that into you. He really is sovereign, isn't he? Even when I do things that please him, it's because God worked it in. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13. Look at James chapter 1. One more verse on being born again by the will of God. James 1.18 Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. God has a creative act that he performs on sinners. That creative act is be, we're causing us to be born again. And this verse tells us that it is of his own will that he begat us. And that we're a creature. There is no man that can be involved in the work of creation. That's entirely God's work. And so it is with our eternal life. Now, brethren, look at John chapter 6. Who is it that ever comes to the Lord Jesus Christ? John chapter 6, verse 44. 
No man can come to me. No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him. And I will raise him up at the last day. Now, didn't Jesus already say who he was going to raise up again at the last day? Yes. Weren't they the ones up in verse 38, about six verses earlier? Aren't they the ones given to him by the Father? Amen. They're the only ones that will ever come to Jesus Christ. And do you know why they come? Except the Father which hath sent me, draw them. And he is the living God. When he draws us, we are drawn. Amen. Amen. No man can come except the Father draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Those that God gave Jesus Christ will be drawn and come to the Lord Jesus Christ and be raised up again in the last day. Now, men don't like this doctrine, and they didn't like it when Jesus preached it right here. He says it again in verse 65. Because the disciples came to him in verse 60 and said, Jesus, don't you know that's a hard saying? Don't you know some of these things you're saying are a hard saying? And so Jesus repeats himself in verse 65. Therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my father. And verse 66 tells us from that time many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Jesus had this huge audience. He said no man can come to me except the father draw him. And then he went on and explained some other things about eating his flesh and drinking his blood to participate in him. The disciples said, don't you know you're saying some hard things? So Jesus, instead of modifying his approach, repeated himself. And after he repeated himself, many of the people left and went away. Now did Jesus holler after them, please come back. You misunderstood me? No. He turned to the ones that were left in verse 67 and said, will ye go away also? Amen. Now, no one knows that Jesus. No one knows him today. Because this isn't the Jesus of the world, but this is the Jesus of the Word of God. And it tells us right here in verse 67 that Jesus turned to his twelve and said, Will ye also go away? But Simon Peter said what I hope all of you are saying, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, and we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. Do you all believe that? We are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. You know that because the Father drew you to know it. Look at Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. Verse 20 tells me, Matthew 11, 20, Then began he to upbraid the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done, Because they repented not. Verse 25 tells me what he said to his father about that matter. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. That verse says right there that the Father hides things. The Father hides the truth from people. He hides it from the wise and prudent. If anyone thinks themselves to be wise, God is going to blind them so that they do not see the truth. We have got to maintain an attitude of complete humility before God that anything we know and understand from His Word is by His grace alone. It is not by intelligence or wit or study. 
Right. It is by his grace. Yes. No, it is not by your ox. It is by his grace. Amen. I am not criticizing one bit the Thanksgiving that was made tonight. That has its place, but I want to be like the Apostle Paul. And though Paul could say I labored more abundantly than they all, he said, yet, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Amen. Give all the credit to God's grace so that great grace can be upon us and we will see more. Right. O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, yes, I would call him Lord of heaven and earth, when the Savior would say, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them unto babes. Do you know how we keep the Lord revealing things to us? Let's keep the spirit of a baby. Amen. Simple. Whatever the Bible says, I believe it. Right. You know, a little child, whatever they hear their father say, that's true. Many children get up into years. I remember my wife telling me about this. She was an only child. She was shocked as she came into her middle teenage years and realized that her father didn't know everything because for 10 or 12 years, he, she thought he knew everything. We need to keep that same spirit. Right. Let's not get so intelligent that we question the word of God. Right. If God said it, we believe it. Amen. That settles it. Right. You know, if we'll keep that attitude, you don't know what he can do. I don't say that either just to be melodramatic. We don't know what he's able to do because he can do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think Amen. according to the power that worketh in us. Let's keep the attitude of a baby. If you said it, I believe it. I don't care what everyone else says. If all six billion call me an idiot, I believe it. He's going to bless that man. Right. He'll bless this church. Notice verse 27. This is Jesus after his prayer. Let me, I don't want to get to verse 27 yet. Look at verse 26. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. Right. Will you all read that? Do you mean to tell me that Jesus prayed to his Father and said that it was good in his sight right. to hide the truth mm -hmm. from men? Right. Is that a good thing to do? Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight right. to hide the truth from men yep. and to reveal it to babes. The more education you have, the greater risk you have of never knowing the truth. Because the greater education you have, you are presuming to be the wise and the prudent of this world. And the wise and the prudent of this world are cut out of God's knowledge. Because he has said, and I can't run this rabbit very far, he has said, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. Right. I will make foolish the wisdom of this world. If we will come to God trusting his word and reading it and living it, and as we learn, we obey it, he will bless us with more. Amen. But it was, it was good in the Father's sight to hide the truth. Do you know what that means to you? It was good in his sight to show you the truth. Amen. I hope that you want to thank the Father because he could have hid it from you and he's hid it from most. Right, man. Verse 27, all things are delivered unto me of my Father. And no man knoweth the Son, but the Father. Neither knoweth any man the Father, save the Son. And he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. 
if you ever know God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, it is because God the Father and the Son revealed Him to you. By their choice, they revealed Him to you in your heart. You would never know Him. The Father is known only by the Son. The Son is known only by the Father. And they're only known by those that God reveals Himself to. A sovereign choice. Look at verse 21. Woe unto thee, Chorazin! Woe unto thee, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. All I want you to realize from that verse is, why didn't Jesus Christ do his mighty works in Tyre and Sidon? Think about it. If these mighty works had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes long ago, but Jesus never did those works in Tyre and Sidon. He is a sovereign king. Jonathan Carnell read some verses tonight from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I'd like you to turn there. He quit too early, but I'll forgive him because he left it for me to read. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, he worked himself down all the way to verse 11. He He even got verse 12. But I want you to see verse 13. Verse 12 is about them. Verse 13 is about us. Right. Look at Second look at Thessalonians 2, 13. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. God chose the Thessalonians to be saved by the sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. If you believe the truth, God chose you to it from the beginning. Right. And notice that is set in distinction to what Jonathan read. Look at verse 11. For this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. Second Thessalonians 2.11 Does God want people to believe a lie? Well, read verse 11 and answer my question. For this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. Yes. They deserve a lie. Do you know why they deserve a lie? Because they didn't like the truth when God gave it to them. When men walk outside and look up at the sky and see that gl- those glorious stars shining and that beautiful moon, when they see the sun come up in the morning and warm their face and bring forth food out of the ground by its power, when they see God's creation and teach the doctrine of evolution, God is right. God has a right to send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. Amen. If you feel sorry for those people, you are a God hater. Because God created the heavens and the earth, and everyone knows that evolution is a joke. It's hilarious to even children. We did not come from monkeys. But men go outside and look up at the Creator and say we came from monkeys and that the start of the universe was a big bang. Yes, it was a big bang. God said, let there be light. And it was only 6,000 years ago. There was a bang. God created. Don't you ever read that verse and, and think that that is hard of God on sinful men. 
He's still merciful because he gives them 70 years in this world to enjoy fruitful seasons and puts joy in their hearts at all the good things he's created. But when men see the truth, and the Bible tells me in Romans chapter 1 that the creation is so plain that all men can see it. And then they reject that God. They deserve to be fed lies, and God will send them a lie. Do you remember Ahab was a king? He loved lies rather than truth. There was a prophet of God that was there to preach the truth, but Ahab rejected that prophet because he taught the truth. So he picked to himself a couple hundred other prophets that would tell him lies, that would give him whatever he wants. That's what all of Christianity wants today. Second Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. They will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned unto fables. They no longer want sound doctrine. Second Timothy 4, 3 and 4. And so God sends them lies. Remember, God chose to kill Ahab. So he sat back in heaven. This is all in 1 Kings 22. And he said to his angels, Who is going to go and get Ahab out into battle where I can kill him? And a lying spirit came forward and said, I will go. I will go and be a lying spirit in the mouth of his prophets to convince him that he's going to have a victory and you can kill him out there in battle. And the Lord said, Great idea. Go and do it. It's 1 Kings chapter 22. It is one of those few sections of Scripture where heaven is opened and we see how God operates. Ahab deserved lies. Do you know that Ahab had the ministry of Elijah the prophet and rejected him? If you want to reject Elijah the prophet, what do you deserve? This is not the opinion of Jonathan Crosby. It's the word of God from front end to back end of of the Bible. But brethren, if you see the truth, God has chosen you to it from the beginning. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13. Look at Acts 16. Acts 16. Oh, brethren, I can't tell... Why am I preaching on this subject? Where did it come from? Was it just the next thing in my to-do file? Nope. I have a project file that could fill me up for a couple of years preaching subjects to you. No. The Lord has come to me and convinced me of the reality of what I'm giving to you. And if I could get you gripped by 10% of it, it'll change the way you think. I lay on my pillow at night and thank God in my heart that I know Him enough to call on Him for mercy. Because if it wasn't for the mercy of God, I wouldn't even be asking for mercy. It is such a blessing to know Him that He's revealed Himself to us. He hides Himself from most. Most do not know Him. It is a gift of His grace, and we should be most thankful for it. And it should cause us to humble ourselves before Him, that He can exalt us in due time. I am gripped by this doctrine, because I want to humble us down to where we belong. And do you know what creature that I mentioned this morning we should be compared to? Worms. We're mud. We're the potter's mud. We are the clay. I read in Acts chapter 16 and verse 14 a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God, heard us. Us is Paul and Luke, whose heart the Lord opened that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. The Apostle Paul was a, would you say he was a decent preacher? Amen. Would you say that Lydia was already born again? Mm-hmm. Where did Paul find her? Paul found her on a Sabbath day in verse 13. She was out by a river side where prayer was wont to be made, and we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. 
Here was a place out by the riverside where the women would come together and pray. And this is where Paul found her. And Paul began preaching to her, but brethren, I want to tell you something. You need more than regeneration to know the truth of God. Amen. You need God to open up your heart. Right. And it says, whose heart the Lord opened. Does he open all hearts? No. no. We've seen them. But he opened hers. Amen. And what was the result? She attended under the things which were spoken of Paul. Amen. And when she was baptized and her household... She besought us, saying, If you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. And Luke and Paul stayed with Lydia. The Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 1 describes the fact that he was a wicked man persecuting the church of God. But then he says these words, But when it pleased God to reveal his Son in me. Amen. What a change in Paul's life. Right, was it because... Paul got a better idea on how he could live? Or did God smack him down on the road to Damascus and he said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? God made all that difference in Paul's life. And he makes the difference in our life. Brethren, if a person doesn't believe, it's because they're not of the sheep of Jesus Christ. John 10, 26, But ye believe not, because ye are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. Jesus addressing an audience, You don't believe me, because you're not of my sheep, as I said unto you. How did he say it unto them? My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I'm going to close right there because of time. But I want to say to you, my brethren, if these things are true, and they are true, how thankful are you? Do you know that nothing that can happen in this life can even compare to the blessing that God has revealed His Son in you? Nothing. Nothing. We're going to meet Him one of these days, and you're going to know that He's the sovereign God that I've described to you the last few sermons. And I hope before we get there that we have all fell at His feet many times and begged for mercy. You want to make your calling and election sure? Then bring forth those things in Second Peter chapter one, and if you'll if you'll apply diligence to bring forth those things and be fruitful in those eight things that are listed there, you will make your calling and election sure. Right. And as Brother Matthew mentioned to me today, which I've loved the words myself for a long time, an abundant entrance shall be an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the heavenly kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Not just an entrance. You're not going to sneak through the gate. It's going to be an abundant entrance. Jesus Christ will be there and he'll defend you. Though the books will contain many things that you have done, he'll say, I paid for those sins. And an abundant entrance will be ministered into the presence of God. So that for all eternity, we can sing the glory and praise of him who loved us and gave himself for us. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. Amen.